from the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you have a shed Bible, it's on page 499. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The word of the Lord. Lord be with you. <laughs> there will be a day when um, it may very well be when our, we experience our resurrected bodies, but there will be a day when I won't have to mess with that. Uh, anyway, uh, friends, hello. My name is Troy Hatfield. I'm happy to be one of our co-lead pastors with Ashley. Happy New Year. Um, here's my modest hope for 2022. I hope for each one of us that our experience of this coming year feels like 365 days rather than a decade. Did you have a sense that last year, last calendar year, actually felt like 10 rather than 365 little days? I pray that that's what we experience this next year like. Wouldn't it be nice for it to be boring? Doesn't boring sound so good? Like uneventful sounds so good? Anyway, there you go. Um, your Eeyore moment for the morning. Um, uh, imagine with me, for a couple minutes, imagine with me a religious system that was broken. Now this may be hard. Stick with me for a couple minutes, but we're going to do a little thought experiment. Imagine a religious system that was broken. 
a religious world, a religious reality that needed some fixing. Okay? Imagine that the dominant or predominant religious reality uh, made up of a bunch of churches, at large, it was really closely tied with politics. And political figures seemed like they had a lot of influence and a lot of sway over what churches did or didn't do. Imagine this. And then imagine that in those little churches that there were people who were charged and even paid to lead those little churches and many of those people were corrupt and they were misleading and many of them were power hungry. Imagine with me this crazy scenario. Do you have it in your head? I guess this is your second Eeyore moment of the morning. Be encouraged and be humbly disappointed when I tell you that what I have just described has been true of the Church of Jesus for almost the entirety of its 2,000-year history. I know that many of us right now have this sense that the church at large is as bad as it has ever been. But I want to tell you that a good reading of any church history would let you know, would show you that there have always been troubling behaviors and problematic practices. There have always been things that I'm sure Jesus would have super harsh words to speak about. But what I want to do is I want to draw our attention to a particular and specific time in history where what I'm describing was true. So I want to, I want to zoom us back to the sixth century. And I want to locate us in the sixth century in one specific place. I want to talk about this, the city of Rome, a really key city for early Christian churches, city of Rome. But even in the city of Rome, in the 500s, the things that I was just describing, these problematic behaviors and practices, these were true even there. And onto the scene steps a man named Benedict. And Benedict was a man who had a real passion and a vision for the renewal of religious life. And this vision that he had for the renewal of, re of religious life, frankly, it was pretty modestly realized while he was alive. But his vision had such an enormous impact on the whole continent of Europe for centuries and centuries after he passed away. And what I want to describe for you is I'm going to describe for you a little bit of Benedict's vision for the renewal of religious life. One of the key cornerstones for him, for this vision of a renewed religious life, was in Latin what we know as stabilitas. That a concept that Benedict asked everyone to adopt 
moving them towards a renewal of religious life was stability, was a deep and abiding faithfulness, what we over these next five weeks are calling grounded. And what Benedict was encouraging, what he was calling people to think about and to consider, um, uh, was committing yourself to a purpose, to a people, and to a place. And making this commitment for your whole life. Now, we're in the year 2022. And the idea of making a lifelong commitment to anything sounds crazy, doesn't it? And for many of us, that kind of a charge potentially even violates something inside of us. You may feel like your freedom's being violated because we are accustomed to structuring our lives in such a way that it's always open for options. That we have lives that are constructed so that we're always on the lookout for the next model, (laughs) the improved version, the better subscription plan. So then I bob and back and forth, back and forth from this one to this one, dodging contracts, getting out of things because I know there's very little penalty when I do that. Benedict in the early 500s was recognizing inside of the religious reality of his day, even among religious people, there were these trends of inconsistency and unattachment, distance relationally. And so Benedict was saying, he was calling people, a pathway for us to religious renewal is Stabilitas is a deep and abiding faithfulness, a groundedness. My sense is if Benedict was alive today, he would tell us the same thing. I think that he would call us to be grounded. And so for the next five Sundays, what we're going to do is we're going to consider what a life of stability would look like. We're going to ask, what does it mean to be grounded? What might it mean for us to commit ourselves to a purpose, a people, and a place? What might it look like for us to practice this ancient virtue? Today, what I want to do is I want to focus on what I think is the fundamental aspect of groundedness. Without getting this right, everything else that we could talk about, everything else we could try, everything else we could practice will be insufficient and incomplete. So today I want to talk to us and with you, not with you, why do we always say with you? You're not talking. I'm sorry, I know that. What a bad preposition. I'm going to talk to you about being grounded in Christ. To do that, we're going to focus on those three verses that Liz just read a couple minutes ago. I'm going to offer simple observation about what it might mean to be grounded in Christ. So, let's do this. Begin in the third verse of Psalm chapter 1. Read it for us again. These people will be like trees planted by streams of water. Trees which yield their fruits in seasons 
and whose leaves do not wither, and whatever they, these people do, prospers. The word I want to draw your attention to is the word planted. Notice that the writer of this psalm doesn't highlight a tree that occasionally hangs out by the water. The writer doesn't talk about a tree that retreats for a long weekend a couple of times of year to the water. The psalmist isn't talking about a tree that dips into the water for an hour or so once a week. Do you know what I'm talking about? The writer is talking about a tree that is planted somewhere. A tree that is consistent. A tree that, this is a word that has a spirit of constancy, of permanence. A really intentionally chosen word here. Um, The writer of this psalm, I think, is describing for us what a person looks like who makes his or her home near the waters that bring life. This is a person who recognizes where the life comes from and so then intentionally positions him or herself near that source. Throughout church history, these words, this psalm, this particular image of a tree has been a key way of understanding what it means to be united with God. This very image has been the central image. We get an echo of these words even from the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus calls himself, if you remember, the vine, and he calls his disciples what? Branches. Because disciples organically, intentionally graft themselves on to the life source. And they seek to be unified, connected with, at all times, that life source. And so even in the mouth of Jesus, this kind of an image shows up. And then the psalmist uh, gives us a little glimpse of what are the results of being united, grounded, connected with that life source. There's fruit that is born in a season, and there are leaves that do not wither. Isn't it striking that the effects of being grounded end up being outcomes that are not for the benefit of the tree itself? The tree doesn't eat its own fruit. The tree may very well reap some benefits of leaves that do not wither, but frankly, the shade that the tree, that these non-withering leaves provide is for someone else. I think we're given a very compelling vision here of a renewed religious life. I think what we see is a beautiful picture of what being grounded, this reminds us before we get ahead of ourselves and we start thinking that this whole enterprise is for me and for me alone. We have an image here of other people benefiting from the groundedness, from the rootedness, from the connectedness. 
That's a striking reminder. I don't think it is a stretch to say this, friends. Your groundedness in Christ is not simply for you. Your groundedness in Christ is a way of living into our church's vision of being for the sake of the world. Your groundedness in Christ benefits other people. Fruit and shade. It's a wonderful calling. It's a wonderful picture. And we're going to get more specific about this over the next couple weeks. But today, I found myself continually asking a single question when I was thinking about our church and I was thinking about this text. And so I want to focus on one question to put in front of you, and it's this. Do you have a plan? Do you have a vision for being grounded in Christ? Do you have a plan or a vision of your life being deeply connected with Jesus? Now, don't default quickly to the answer that you think is true. I'm asking you to genuinely and seriously consider this question. Do you have a plan? Do you have a vision for your life as being connected to, grounded in Jesus? My mentor, Bob Weber, uh, a bunch of years ago, he wrote a really compelling book that advocated for what he called a lifelong commitment of discipleship. Do you think about your spiritual life as a lifelong commitment? Do you imagine yourself as a disciple in the making who is constantly being formed more and more into the image of Jesus. And here's the reason why I ask that question. The reason why I ask you to not so quickly default to the answer yes. It's because this, I think many people are content to be a convert. I think many are content to be converted that for many, the concept of a relationship with Jesus is entirely about salvation and everything past that is not to be worried about. Many are content to be a convert. And I would say the way that I understand the call of Jesus, the way that I understand the narrative of the Bible really calls that perspective into question. I would even say, if we look at the rest of Psalm 1, the first two verses, I think the rest of Psalm 1 in those opening verses gives us actually a picture of a plan or a vision of what it means to be rooted and grounded. Let me show you. Look at this. Okay, uh, Psalm 1 verse 1 says this. I think we look at things we're called to avoid. Blessed are those who do not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Friends, are there certain practices or habits that are currently in the way of your being grounded in Christ? Are there steps you need to stop taking? Are there ways you need to stop going? 
Is there company that you need to be separate from? Are there things that you need to stop doing in order for you to be more grounded in Christ, to be more intimately connected? And then verse 2, I think it encourages things for us to adopt or to practice. Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on his law day and night. I wonder, are there godly delights that need to be nurtured in your life? What would be a godly delight that you could nurture? Do you need to create more spaces for you to think about, for you to be with God? What kinds of things can you live into that will lead toward good fruit and goodness for another person? Are you content to just be a convert? Or do you desire to be a disciple? What is your plan? What is your vision for being more grounded in Christ? Because people do not stumble into stability. You do not wake up one day and realize, I'm grounded. Part of being grounded in Christ means you live into an intentional plan and vision for being connected, for being more Christ-like, for being more unified. Part of it means you go down an intentional path. So what is your vision? What is your plan for being grounded and rooted and stable in Christ? I'm going to tell you that I am speaking on behalf of all the other members of our pastoral staff right now. I do not have their permission to say this, but I'm going to do it. Every one of the people who are on our pastoral staff is eager to walk with you as you figure that out. Every one of us. Because we understand our pastoral role in this church. That our role is more than just providing services for a bunch of different age groups. Our role here is, a, is about more than being like a cruise director, spiritual activities coordinator. That our role, our desire, uh, what we believe we're called into being for our church is to help you discern how to be more like Jesus. It's to help you figure out how to architect a life that will enable you to be more grounded and rooted and more Christ-like. We are desperate to walk alongside you and to help you discern and to figure this out. Please let us know especially Kyle Lake. I'll just put him on the hook. But honestly, please let us know how we can walk with you to figure this thing out, to find a pathway that makes sense, to help you to architect a vision for your life that will lead to deeper rootedness. Over the past uh, 12 
months, a couple of months, our ministry leadership team, our ministry leadership team is made up of six of us, um, me and Ashley, Tim Nelson, our associate pastor, Ken Sanders, our director of operations, Denise Kingdom Greer, our pastor of mobilization and renewal, and the aforementioned Kyle Lake, pastor of Anthem and family life director. This ministry leadership team meets every week to discern and to pray and to think about our church. And we've been trying to really intentionally over the past couple of months pray and say, God, what is it that we need to do to concentrate our efforts and our energies and our uh, uh, our vision uh, on behalf of our church. What do we need to be giving our attention to? And each one of us recently, we all had the same sense. Individually came with different language, but was all pointing in the same direction. We had this sense that our church in this season, we desperately need to help to figure out and to give to our church an intentional discipleship plan. For there to be a way that everyone in our church would say, how is it that I can enter into some sort of a plan and some sort of a jet stream that will help me to move more and more towards Christ-likeness? And we have this sense that that is something we need to give our energies to. And there's a lot of details to figure out, but what we recognize is that a need for our church in this season is to help people intentionally seek and become Christ-like. Because most of us, we need more than our own efforts, right? And because we are convinced that being grounded in Christ, it's not less than personal salvation, but it is absolutely and certainly more than that. And we are convinced that each one of us, each one of you in Christ is called to greater discipleship, to greater rootedness, to greater groundedness, to more Christ-likeness. And so we're gonna give energies, hours, time, prayer towards figuring out what, it, what, what kind of a yearly or yearly rhythms and cycles and content and classes, what does it look like for lots of different seasons and ages and stages of the spiritual journey to be brought along to become more like Jesus? I say all that because I want you to know that we have a sense that this church is needs to be about and needs to prioritize lifelong discipleship. A lifelong commitment to being grounded in Christ. Whenever we talk about being grounded, it inevitably it's gonna illuminate that for every one of us that we have a restless heart. That inside of each of us is a kind of restlessness. Personally, I, I, I'm a military kid, so I grew up moving a bit. And so I have equal competing desires inside of me. I have this one desire that wants to be stable and at home, to never leave my current mailing address, to be there my whole life. And I have a competing desire, sometimes feel overwhelmed by a wanderlust. Like this desire to live out of a backpack with a bunch of books and a single change of clothes. <laughs> Amen, somebody said. 
It wasn't my wife that said amen, by the way, um, or my daughter. But, and it depends on the hour which one of those desires and impulses are strongest. Restlessness is never very far from me and never very far in me. When we talk about groundedness, it's inevitably going to illuminate that each one of us feel this kind of restlessness. St. Augustine, in his spiritual autobiography, uh, Confessions, he famously wrote these lines. You've probably seen this before. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We all remain restless until we are grounded in Christ. Until that perfect union with Jesus is fully realized, that restlessness never goes away. But we tiptoe towards that we tiptoe towards that rest when we live into a vision, when we live into a plan of intentionally planting ourselves near the source of life. When we live into a vision and a plan for being grounded. And so friends, I pray that you, I pray that we, I pray that we will be like trees planted by streams. Pray that we would be planted intentionally by the life-giving waters. That we would be deeply grounded in Christ. That we would be constantly drawing on resources that are beyond ourselves. And that we would be prosperous for the sake of the world. And amen. Uh, one of the reasons why we prioritize the table and we come to this encounter with God every single week is because we consider what happens here to be central to our faith. Now, we could debate whether this particular act and this form and all of that is essential, but what we can't debate what isn't up for debate is the story that this act tells. The centrality of this story for our faith. The centrality that everything, our groundedness depends upon the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we prioritize the story that this act tells. And so today when we come to this meal, when we come to these simple little elements, when you come to a time to pray and to reflect and to sing, I wonder if you might take these elements into your body and say, God, I take this and I ask that you would give me that vision, that you would flame up inside of me that deeper desire for groundedness, that you would birth inside of me some sort of new vision, some sort of new desire, some sort of new plan for how to be more deeply connected with you, the vine. And then notice some of the words that we're gonna say, how they continue to communicate to us our connectedness, our groundedness in Jesus. So let's encounter 
the Lord at this table again today. Sing all together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Join me in the spirit of thanksgiving and we pray how right and good and a joyful thing it is at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the angels and the archangels, with all of the company of heaven, who forever surround your throne and sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Spirit, would you fall on these elements? Would you make these elements for us spiritual food? that we might be nurtured, that we might be sustained on the pathway to deeper and more faithful groundedness in you. And would you make in us more desire, more hunger to be united with you, to be more like Jesus. And amen. The Apostle Paul tells us that uh, he received from the Lord what he passes along to his disciples and to us by extension, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and a cup and he blessed them and he gave them to his disciples. By extension, they're given to us as reminders of his wondrous love and commitment for us and to us. And that whenever we take them and we eat them and we drink them, what we do is we retell that story. That we take it into our bodies and then somehow mystically and mysteriously the story gets told through us. And we do our best to, to summarize that story with these simple little phrases that we say that have been inherited from lots of other people who sought to be grounded, who sought to be faithful disciples these words that tell the story, the story upon which everything depends. And so we say it together. Christ has died. Christ is. Christ will come. So come and receive who you are, the body of Christ. And this would be a wonderful moment to seek out prayer eager people who want to be present with you. If right now, this is a moment you say, I don't know the next step forward, let someone else pray along with you. I'll join Brian and a few others will be over in this area over here. And we'll sing and we'll pray and we'll eat. And so come and receive who you are, the body of Christ.